The Office of Government Information Services, OGIS, part of the National Archives and Records Administration, mediates between people seeking government records and the agencies that have them. But with a growing volume of new requests, agency FOIA professionals have trouble keeping up with demand. Alina Simo is the director of OGIS. As part of Sunshine Week, celebrating government transparency, she tells Federal News Network's Jory Heckman how efforts to revitalize the FOIA workforce have gone. I think FOIA professionals are often overlooked and not given as much credit as they really deserve because they are extremely hardworking professionals and sometimes don't have very fun jobs. They've got to go knocking on doors at their agencies and ask people to open up their file cabinets and give them documents. And most folks at agencies are, you know, not happy to see them. Please leave me alone. I'm trying to fulfill the mission of the agency. I don't have time to answer a FOIA request. So certainly giving that extra recognition, if you will, to FOIA professionals and elevating their status, I think it's very important. And I've certainly seen just a more positive attitude about FOIA professionals and more positive attitude about who's being attracted to that job series. And that's actually something I personally feel pretty strongly about. I worry about the fact that we're not going to have another wave of FOIA professionals that will come behind the ones that are going to retire, let's say, in 10, 15, 20 years. We're going to continue to need very savvy individuals who understand the FOIA, know how to process records, and know how to release them. They're also going to probably have to be much more electronically savvy because I think we're going to be seeing a huge shift to much more electronic processing and digitization. But we need those folks. And I hope that there will be another wave of folks who want to come and work for the federal government and do this job. So I think the GIS series is a great step in that direction. Just to follow up on that, what is the case you make or what's the pitch that you offer, say, you know, someone who's millennial age, someone in their late 20s, early 30s, what have you, to say, hey, you know, have you thought about this kind of career path? Have you thought about being a government information specialist? I think one way to do it is to actually show them. So we do have summer interns that come in, and if they're given the opportunity to see the work actually being performed, I think that's a very helpful way to get them introduced into that process. And also just to make sure that you have folks who are excited about FOIA. You know, we're always joking about the fact that we have FOIA geeks within the FOIA community. I probably am one of them. I will confess that. But FOIA is a very exciting statute, and it's got so many different ramifications and so many nuances to it. And it's very analytical. There's a lot of legal aspects to it. And I think if you can show someone all of those nuances and try to draw them in a little bit and have them understand what they're doing is actually important to making a difference. And the idea also, of course, that we're pro-disclosure, right? We want to make proactive disclosures as often as possible, and we want to get information out to the public. Hopefully that will attract them. One of the recommendations that the FOIA Advisory Committee made in last year's report, one of the recommendations made in that report was to Congress as far as some of the dual roles that these FOIA professionals have, making sure that they can simultaneously answer FOIAs, but also comply with Section 508. And I think that's been Mm -hmm. a hurdle that we've heard before when it comes to maybe some of the bottlenecks that are in the process. Thoughts there on how this fix, if Congress does act on it, how that will maybe, you know, alleviate some of the burden. First of all, I, I, I want to say that you know, I'm very proud of the work that the FOIA Advisory Committee did in the second term that ended in 2018. I chaired that FOIA Advisory Committee, and there were a number of really hardworking individuals that you know, made it all happen. And the particular recommendation that actually came out of the committee was for OGIS, for our office, to put a legislative recommendation into our annual report to Congress. 
and that is in fact what we did. So our annual report for fiscal year 2018 is actually out and available online at www.archives.gov backslash OGIS. It's on the front page. And in fact, um, we actually have laid out the actual legislative recommendation that OGIS recommends that Congress pass legislation to provide agencies with sufficient resources to comply with the requirements of both the FOIA and Section 508 of the Rehabilitation Act of 1973, especially as they relate to proactive posting of large number of records. And we go into a little bit of background about um, why this is such a struggle for a lot of agencies. And we did spend a while talking about it with the FOIA Advisory Committee. That Actually, it started in the first term of the FOIA Advisory Committee in 2014. That committee term uh, discussed it and recognized that it's a significant issue for agencies. And we circled back to it again. And a lot of agencies are doing fine because they don't have a lot of records to post. Some agencies really struggle, especially the ones who are creating a lot of complicated documents that have charts and graphs and tables and pie charts. Those are very, very tough to make 508 compliant. And um, they're not impossible, of course. I mean, it's just a matter of being able to devote personnel to actually do it. And what we hear from agencies is that the IT shops don't necessarily want to help because they have their own to-do lists that don't include making Section 508 documents accessible. And usually it falls back to the FOIA professionals to do it. And there the argument is, well, gosh, we're having them make something 508 compliant, but then they're not processing my FOIA request. So there's always really that tension that's actually been going on for a while. So, you know, we laid all that out in our report and we provided what we thought were three possible legislative options. And again, we were just kind of brainstorming and trying to give some ideas to Congress, but we really felt as though it's something they can certainly explore and take up. But certainly, I don't think there's one button that you can push that can be created, but from 100 steps that currently exist to making a document 508 compliant, we might be able to go down to 10 steps. And for that, we need those amazingly creative minds at ATF, at GSA, U.S. Digital Service within the Executive Office of the President. Those are the folks that I think could make these things much more user-friendly for agencies and make it a little less painful than it currently is. The uh, second idea that we provided was to give funding to an organization. We offered one as a suggestion. There is, for example, an organization within the Department of Health and Human Services, which administers grant programs aimed at developing technologies or tools for public use that would help automate this process of making agency documents 508 compliant. And then the third one, which I think is really probably going to be more controversial, we also threw out the idea that perhaps legislation could be passed that in lieu of proactively posting 508-compliant documents, that agencies could post an index of the records that they have proactively released. And someone with uh, disabilities could look at the index, which itself would be 508 compliant, and then contact the agency and say, I would like to see documents 5, 7, and 9. And at that point, the agency would then go ahead and make the documents 5, 7, and 9 FOIA compliant. So those were just suggestions to get thoughts rolling for Congress. And we very much look forward to continuing our dialogue with them and working with them to see if we can make this easier for agencies and for requesters and just improve the process overall. 
options one and two that you outlined, it seems like things that agencies could do right here, right now. Have any of those conversations been initiated, like with 18F, the folks you'd mentioned there, or with HHS? I would say we're in extremely early stages. So I would say there haven't been any formal conversations. There have just been informal thoughts being passed back and forth. But I think that if folks want to go in that direction, there's just so much opportunity that exists there. And certainly OGIS is willing to do its part to continue to advance this concept because we understand it's important for agencies. And we really want to work with these entities to help in any way we can. Going back to the role that that OGIS plays as an ombudsman and a mediator, that mediator role, of course, preventing what could wind up happening, which is these FOIA conflicts could become lawsuits and then they get tied up in the courts. Do you have any data or any maybe, you know, trends to indicate whether FOIA lawsuits are going up? Are they happening more often? Well, I think there's been certainly a lot of discussion in the FOIA community about the fact that there are now significant uptick in lawsuits. And I certainly can attest to that since I was a FOIA litigator for many years. I do think the lawsuits are up, but I think we also have to keep it in perspective because requests are up. I don't know what the statistics are yet for fiscal year 2018. I think Department of Justice is still compiling all the numbers, but in fiscal year 2017, there were definitely over 800,000 requests. And the statistic we always like to cite is that less than 1% of those requests actually went into FOIA litigation. So the idea behind it is that even though litigation may be rising, so are the number of requests. It'll be interesting to see what the numbers show this year once we get all the statistics from DOJ. In general, what do you advise on the agency side to avoid any FOIA request turning into a lawsuit? Like, what's the best way to avoid that kind of litigation? Definitely communication. I think that's the number one key that we are always stressing. One of the other great programs that we run is we offer dispute resolution for FOIA professionals. And we've actually been offering that since the office opened its doors in 2009. And the idea behind it was really a little bit of a culture change to teach FOIA professionals to try to talk to requesters and not be afraid of them. Pick up the phone or send an email and communicate with the requester early and often and make sure you understand the scope of what they're asking for, what exactly they're interested in, to see if you could narrow the request in any way to help the agency. That certainly helps the agency and the FOIA professional uh, in terms of their workload. They don't have to look for 100,000 pages. They can narrow it down to 10 pages, perhaps. So communication, we think, is a very, very critical part of all of this. And keeping the requester advised and apprised of what's happening throughout the process. Alina Simo is director of the Office of Government Information Services, speaking with Federal News Network's Jory Heckman. Check out Jory's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at Pluralsight.com vision. Want more ways to show your good side to the world? Donate plasma at a Griffles Center and join thousands of donors who are helping to save lives. Receive up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at Grifflesplasma.com.